it's good to laugh in church. Amen. Uh, my name is Eric. I get to be the lead pastor here. I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are here. About five years ago, my wife and I, I was jobless, uh, homeless. We were pregnant with our third child and didn't know what to do. And so we moved from Wisconsin back to Minnesota. And we said, you know, what are we going to do? I, I was working at another church and just felt this calling to come back to Minnesota. And through much prayer and, and figuring out what is God doing in our lives, we said, hey, we're going to start a church for people who are lacking passion, who are needing purpose in their life, who are needing friendships, because sometimes it can be hard to make relationships in Minnesota, who uh, want to help others find hope and healing through Jesus Christ. And so about five years ago, a group of us came together, and we started Mosaic Church. And uh, why the name Mosaic? Because a mosaic is what an artist, he takes his broken pieces of clay or pottery, he puts them together to form his work of art. We said in the same way, none of us are perfect. We're all broken in pieces, and God is putting us back together to form his work of art. And so today, we hope that this is a safe place where you can hear about the dangerous message of Jesus, that he wants to help you grow, take your next step spiritually, become the person that he created you to be. Do you remember the first time that you fell in love? Do you remember the first time you fell in love? For me, it was uh, first grade. Uh, anyone else fall in love in first grade? Uh, it was Brookie Johnson. She was in our church, and she was amazing. All the guys were so nervous of Brookie Johnson. She had this beautiful blonde hair, this amazing smile. And uh, our family got to be friends with them. And one day, our family went over to her house to hang out. And I thought, this is my chance. And so I have an older sister. She has an older sister. We're hanging out in the basement. And Brookie and I are hanging out in the top bunk of her bunk bed. And uh, our older sisters dared us for me to kiss her on the cheek. And my heart was just pounding. And I planted one on her cheek. And let me tell you, I was a legend with my friends for the rest of first grade. <laughs> then we got older and she became untouchable and uh, just out of my league. But that's okay for another, another day. Do you remember the first time you fell in love? I think we're all looking for love. We're all chasing it down, but so often I think we look for love in the wrong places, uh, like the bunk bed of a first grade girl's bedroom. It's not the place to look for love. Uh, but the truth is we're all looking for love. And what do we do when love lets us down? What do we do when friendships let us down? When we're looking for that community and it lets us down? Well, fortunately, in the story of God, he tells about these families that our experience of being let down, our, our experience of looking for love, looking for affirmation and approval, we aren't alone in that. That the people in the Bible and the people recorded in these stories went through these same things that we've gone through. And so what we're doing in this series is we're exploring the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, this man named Jacob and, and, and his family, and saying, man, what do we do when, when we fall short. Well, last week we met Jacob, and God, we're going to see, God's going to save Jacob and then use him to change the world. The problem is right now, the only thing that Jacob is good at is lying and deceiving. He doesn't look much like a godly man or a future patriarch. And eventually, Jacob's going to get his name changed to Israel. Israel, a whole nation is going to be named after Jacob. So how does he go from Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver, if you're a fan of Avengers, he's a lot like Loki, to Israel. How did he go from this pathetic mama's boy? Last week we, we learned who, he can't grow a beard. He's afraid to fight his brother to a godly man who's one of the, the founders of our faith. 
Last week we met Jacob again. He's about 40. He's not married yet, living in his parents' house. Never worked a job, hasn't taken a wife. Just some rich kid living in his parents' house. How is God gonna use this guy? Well, last week we talked about how Jacob betrayed his brother and stole his birthright, stole his blessing. And his brother's a big hairy Wookiee, a lot like Thor. I like to think of, Loki, uh, of, of Jacob and Esau like Loki and Thor. And so we're following Loki here in this story, if you know Avengers. But so Jacob has to run away because his big hairy brother wants to kill him. And so Jacob is on this 500-mile journey to go stay with some relatives he's never met before. He's not even certain how these relatives are going to receive him. Uh, it's like Jacob's leaving the Wyzetta School District and a rich parent's home to go live with his redneck cousins, you know, up in northern Wisconsin. A bunch of beer-drinking, fast-food-eating, you know, tobacco-chewing Packer fans. That's where he's going. But he has no choices because he's a trickster, and he's stolen his brother's birthright and his blessing. And this morning, we're going to see Jacob fall in love with this beautiful woman, but then somehow accidentally married to her sister, which is just crazy. And then both sisters and their two handmaidens end up having 12 babies with Jacob in the course of about seven years. Which means, if you do the math, that many of his women were pregnant at the same time. Now, Jacob is destined for heaven because he's a follower of God, but I think, honestly, he probably got a little taste of hell being married to sisters with all these pregnant women pregnant at the same time. But what we're going to see, though, in this story is that that everyone is trying to control their future and manipulate their destiny. And we're going to see how we try to do the same thing in our own lives. Today's story, we can kind of break up into three acts. There's a well, a wedding, and a waiting room. We're going to look at a well, a wedding, and a waiting room. Before we dive into God's word, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you that you are here with us. So God, our prayer is that we would become more and more aware of your presence in our lives, in our world. God, we know that you're here. So we ask God, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to see what you're doing, the work that you're already uh, doing here in this place, in our lives. Lord, I pray that every single one of us would hear from you the message, God, that you want for us to receive. We thank you that you are good, slow to anger. You are merciful. So Lord, just be here with us. Help us just to see what you're doing. Open our eyes and hearts to be aware and attuned to who you are. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna be going through a lot of scripture today. This whole series, we're gonna go through a lot of scripture, Genesis 29 and 30. The scriptures will be behind me. You can also follow along. I wanna encourage you. Uh, I know we live in a digital age. Start bringing your Bibles to church, underlining those, making notes. Uh, I heard about a dad. I thought this is a great idea. He has a study Bible that he makes notes in and he, he marks up and he, and he listens to sermons. And then after about you know, five years or so, then he gives that study Bible to his child when they turn 10. And then, and then for the next child and the next child, that, well, what a cool thing to have a legacy that you're studying out of your, your parents' notes. So whatever it might be, I just encourage you, maybe you want to bring your physical Bible, maybe you want to follow along on your phone, or hey, just follow along on, on the screen, you want to take some notes, because um, we want to just give you not just some information, but we want to help you have a life of transformation. And we think if you can hear the truth, if you can write it down, if you can discuss it in your small group or some friends, that'll really help those truths get down deep into your life. So let's dive in today to Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. So last week, again, Jacob betrayed his brother, tricked him, and now he's on the run. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. 
The stone on the mouth's well was large. That's an important detail. It's a big rock covering the well. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Because this, the stone was so large and heavy, all the shepherds would wait until they're all together. Then they'd roll it together. They had this system. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, and Nahor is Abraham's brother. So he's asking, do you know my great uncle? He's asking about this family that he's never met before. And they said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. All right, Moses, the author of Genesis, he's a brilliant storyteller. He introduces Rachel very subtly, and she's coming with the sheep. This is like, you know, hot girl coming with the bass boat. Like, that's what he's trying to say here. Because the sheep meant status and wealth. And Jacob's like, thank you, Jesus. Just what I prayed for. A hot girl who loves to fish and owns her own boat. He said, behold, it is still a high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. So what Jacob's saying, he's like, hey, shepherds, get out of here. Get your sheep gone. He wants some alone time with this hot girl he sees coming. This is Jacob the schemer. Jacob's got some game, and he's trying to get alone with Rachel. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Again, back then they had these huge rocks would cover wells to make sure that the well stayed pure, to make sure no people or animals fell into the well. It'd be a big job to move the stone, so they all did it together. While he was still speaking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. So here's hot Rachel. She shows up and she's like, hey, you like my sheep? And Jacob, up until now, total underachiever. But now Jacob is like, whoa, it's love at first sight. But Jacob knows he's got to make a good first impression. Guys, first impression is so important, right? It's like if we're going to trick her to go on a date with us, we have to make a good first impression, right? That's what Jacob's thinking here. Jacob has his father's blessing, but he had to run away from home so his twin brother wouldn't kill him. So now he's flat broke. So he's like, I got no money, I got nothing. Like, what am I gonna do to, to impress hot Rachel here? Let's read on. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother. So we can read this real quick, but basically Jacob goes full-on Hulk mode, and he moves this rock all by himself. Normally all the shepherds would come together and move it away, but Jacob does it all by himself. He's thinking, lift something heavy, that impresses the ladies, right? And he waters Laban's sheep. I love this. He's pretending like he's some hard worker. How many guys are like this? Like, you're kind of an underachiever until you meet, you know, that hot girl. It's like, oh, man. I got so much to do. I got to get a car. I got to get a job. I got to learn how to read. Maybe get some socks that aren't white. You know, buy a shirt that has some buttons on it. I got a lot to do. That's what Jacob is thinking here. And there's no end to the lengths a dude will go to impress a woman. Amen? Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. He's like, I am man. I move rock. I kiss you. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. At this point, Jacob is about 40 years old, still single, on the run from his hairy twin brother who wants to kill him. And now he meets hot Rachel, the love of his life. Can you say unexpected blessings? Here's the first thing I want you to know, is that God can do some amazing things in places you aren't expecting it. God can do some amazing things in places you aren't expecting it. Maybe today you're unexpected it. Maybe throughout this week, you're at, you're at work, maybe you're hanging out with some friends. 
God can show up and bless you in ways that you aren't expecting it. Jacob's on the run. He doesn't know what, what to expect. He's on the way to his, fam, his family he's never met before, and he meets Rachel. And, and, and unexpectedly, he's blessed. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone, my bone and my flesh. Later, we're going to see Laban doesn't really have the best intentions here. It's important to know everyone who embraces you doesn't necessarily have the best intentions for you. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Laban is saying, hey, you've been working for me for, me for a month. I guess you wanted to get paid, right? Uh, what, you know, uh, we're going to see crooked Laban. He, he, he's a con man. Now, Laban had two daughters. Now, here's where it gets a little dramatic. If you're watching the movie, it's like, bum, bum, bum. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak. Now, you can read lots of different uh, commentaries on this, translators. They aren't really sure what to make of this weak eyes. But no matter how you translate it, it's not a good thing. This is kind of the Bible's way of saying uh, Leah had a really good personality, okay? Uh, maybe she had a lazy eye. We don't really know. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Uh, so the Bible doesn't comment on Leah's form or appearance. So you can draw your own conclusions, but I do feel bad for the older sister here. So here comes Jacob. Which one do you think he wants to marry? Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So basically, right, uh, Jacob has no money. In that days, you had to give a, a dowry. And so he said, hey, I'll serve you for seven years in exchange for the ability to marry your daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Now, Rachel must have been crazy hot because he's willing to serve for seven years for her. Now, of course, I would serve seven years for Kristen uh, to get to marry her. Uh, but I'm, I am glad things have changed. Um, although my daughter now is seven years old and the thought of her marrying someone someday, it's like, yeah, maybe that man should have to serve me for seven years. I, I think maybe they're onto something here. And now we come to, I think, one of the greatest lines of poetry in the Bible. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Jacob, he's breaking his back and he's got calluses on his hands and blisters on his feet. He's serving his crooked father-in-law, but they seem like just a few days because of this great love that he has for Rachel. Thus ends act one, the well. Now we have act two, the wedding. Genesis 29, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, seven, seven years later, kind of the next title screen, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time has completed. Jacob's like, all right, seven years are up. Give me my wife. So Laban gathered together all the people of that place and made a feast. So now we have big wedding day, big feast. There must have been a lot of wine flowing, and we're going to see why. But here we go. In the evening, Laban, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. So after the wedding... Father-in-law Laban, crooked con man, he switches the older daughter and the younger daughter. And it's like, how did this happen? The only thing I can imagine is that Jacob had one too many drinks. And he goes into the, can the, the tent, the candles are out. For seven years, he's, he's been dreaming of waking up next to hot Rachel. And it's like, how drunk do you have to be to wake up next to the wrong woman? But in the morning, behold, it was Leah. 
And I just imagine Leah's like, hey, Jacob. And, you know, what an awkward moment. I picture Jacob, like, running out with crazy Kramer hair, like, what did you do to me? Like, how did you switch this on me? Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? This is a pivotal moment in Jacob's life. It's like, dude, maybe you're reaping what you sowed. See, I believe you reap what you sow. Morning always comes and you might wake up next to Leah. What does Jacob's name mean? It means deceiver. Jacob is thinking, Laban, you deceived me. Who would do such a thing? Who would ever switch the older and the younger? And then he's like, oh, wait. <laughs> I see what you did there. You did to me what I did to my father and my brother. See, Jacob substituted himself, the younger brother, for the older brother when he tricked his blind old dad to get Isaac's blessing. And now Laban turns the table and substitutes the older daughter for the younger daughter. Here's the truth, is that if you are a liar, eventually a better liar is gonna get you. If you're a thief, eventually a better thief is going to get you. See, for seven years, Jacob thought he got away with his deception. But morning always comes. And now Jacob has met his match. See, here's something I've learned, is that God will often put people in your life who struggle with the same struggles that you have, but they're more advanced in those struggles than you are. And so what happens then is that you encounter those people and, and, and God allows us to, to suffer miserably so we know what it's like and we see how we've treated others who've been treated by us. I can think, think of one example in particular. There's someone I worked with who has a very similar personality to mine and working with him was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. <laughs> it's true. But God used that to say, Eric, here is the dark side of your personality. If you don't, Get a handle on this. If you don't get some counseling and, and, and advice and you grow in these areas, this is how you will treat other people. And I was able to experience what that was like. And see, I think so often God does that. He brings people into our lives to grow us in patience and, and, and love. The same things that we struggle with. And it's a picture of, oh, wow, yeah, that's something I do too. See, Jacob's a deceiver and now he's met his match. Verse 26, Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban's like, remember Jacob, that whole like honoring the firstborn first, remember that? He says, complete the week of this one and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so, he finished up the honeymoon with the older sister, how awkward is that? And completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So marries the older one, week long honeymoon, Second wedding with the other sister, week-long honeymoon. Can you imagine being married to the same man as your sister? Imagine being Leah and being known, you know, your sister is known as the hot one. Like, man, so much drama here. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Jacob worked seven years, and then he got Leah. But now Jacob gets Rachel, and then he works seven more years for her. Why is that important? See, Leah is a picture of the law, of the old covenant. Rachel is a picture of grace, of the new covenant. The law says, work really hard, then you get your reward. The old covenant says, you know, do good, then you get God. Work hard, then you'll get blessed. The new covenant, grace says, here's your reward. You are free in Christ. You have been forgiven, you have been adopted. Nothing you have done to earn this. 
Now, in response to that gratitude, go serve God. Make a difference in the world. That's the difference here between the, the old and the new. And what we're going to see is there's two foundational things that drive most of our lives. We're going to see this in the lives of Rachel and Leah. Approval and achievement. Thus ends Act 2, and now we get to Act 3, the waiting room. We started at a well, we went to a wedding, and now the waiting room. Genesis 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. When the Lord saw that Leah was not chosen or loved, he chose her to be blessed. I'm grateful that God sees unloved people, amen? God selects what man rejects. So often, God specializes in selecting what man rejects. See, for everyone who's rejected in a marriage, for every child that grew up without a dad because he ran away when things got hard, for everyone who walked into the lunchroom and no one saved you a seat, I want you to know that God has a way of selecting what man rejects. God says, I want Leah. I select what others reject. I am the God of the widow and the foreigner and the orphan. I am the God of lonely, unloved Leah. God says, I see you, Leah, lying there, unwanted at night. Jacob doesn't love you, but you know what? He doesn't even love himself. And God says, I choose you, Leah. See, all of us deal with rejection at some time, but rejection is not a dead end. It's a redirection. You're chosen. God chooses you. So Leah is chosen, yet she still feels like she has something to prove. So she starts having babies, which is a good thing. Kids are fun. They're great for church growth. But why are you trying to have babies, Leah? Verse 32, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. I'm giving him a son, so now my husband's going to love me. Whose love are you trying to get by trying to produce? So often we try to do things to earn someone's approval, to earn their love. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means the Lord hears. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. I've given him three sons. He, he's got to love me more than my sister, finally. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again a fourth time and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Do you notice right here? It stopped being about her husband. And now she's like, I'm just going to praise God. He's given me these four beautiful children. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which means praise. Then she ceased bearing. I think we see in Leah what we see in so many of us. We, we produce trying to find approval. But until God is enough for you, nothing you produce will ever be good enough. Leah's popping out babies like Michelle Duggar, and she still can't get Jacob's attention. Now let's check in on, on Hot Rachel, her sister. She's got it all going on on the outside, but she can't produce what Jacob wants the most. The reality is both sisters are miserable. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. I love the dramatic younger sister. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who was withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob was like, hey, listen, this is your problem. My stuff is working properly. Look at your sister. She's bearing kids. But... You know what's true is that so many people that we're jealous of are actually miserable. Leah is trying to be like Rachel. 
She thinks Rachel has it all going on. She's good looking. She's, she's the one that's loved. Leah's like, man, I wish I could be just like Rachel. And yet Rachel is so miserable. She's envious of Leah, able to have these children. So oftentimes we look at people and we wish we had their life and we don't realize they're just as miserable as we are. They're just as broken and in need of Jesus' love as we are. Why are we so drawn to what we don't have? I think some of us think, if I could just fill in the blank, if I could just have this job or, or lose 30 pounds, or if I could just get married, or if I could just have a child, then life would be great. And God is saying, when are you gonna look at me? But Rachel can't accept this, so what does she do? Now, this is just plain crazy, and remember, a lot of the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive, so don't do this, okay? But this is like, Real Housewives of Padanaram. I'm gonna read this quick. Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. So Jacob's like, what now, Rachel? You want me to sleep with the nanny? Sure, if that's what you want, honey. Okay, so he does. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel says, God has judged me. and He's also heard my voice and given me a son. No, he gave the nanny a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. See here, it's all about her sister. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So now Leah is not having babies. She takes her nanny. He's like, okay, stop babysitting the kids. You go in with my husband and start having babies. This is crazy. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. She's not trying to earn her husband's approval anymore. Now she's trying to earn the happiness and approval of all the other women around her. See, but anytime you tie your happiness to someone else, you're never going to be happy. Leah went from thinking that maybe Jacob will make her happy to trying to get the approval of the other women in town. Jumping ahead to verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. I love that verse. Then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son. And said, God has taken away my reproach. See, all this stuff that Rachel is trying to achieve was eclipsed in one moment when God remembered her. One moment of receiving from God is better than a lifetime of trying to achieve. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son, which is just honestly ironic. Thank you, God, you finally gave me a son. Now give me another one. <laughs> That's her prayer. I'm actually gonna invite the band to come on up. As we wrap up here, I look at this story of these two sisters trying to earn approval, trying to earn love and affirmation and I think you and I are a lot like Rachel and Leah. See, one desperately wanted approval, and the other, who so desperately wanted to achieve what she couldn't produce. I think you and I can both identify with that desire for approval and achievement. One desperately wanted the love of her husband, and one desperately wanted the experience of motherhood. But if I could sit down with Leah, I would open up Matthew chapter 1, and I would show her this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus, the family of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, 
and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Wait a minute. Do you remember this? Whose mom is, is, is Judah's mom? Leah's mom. Leah, the sister that Jacob didn't even want to marry. Judah comes from Leah. From Judah comes Boaz, who marries Ruth, who then, a couple generations later, has David, King David, the giant slayer, and eventually Jesus. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Jesus comes from the lion of Judah, the fourth son of Leah. Judah came from Leah, the one that Jacob never even wanted. The savior of the world comes from the one that was rejected. God wants you to know that God selects what man rejects. The one that Jacob never even wanted produces the child that ultimately produced the one that would save the world. To me, that's amazing. Honestly, as I was praying about this whole series, this is the reason I wanted to do this whole series. I think it's so, so good to remember that Jesus comes from the line of Leah, the sister that was rejected, the sister that wasn't loved. Not the favorite one. That's where Jesus comes from. But let's not leave Rachel out of this either. Rachel had Joseph, who ended up as the second in command in Egypt, saves the whole family, and in fact was the savior in the Near Eastern world. You see, Rachel, the one who couldn't produce, ended up producing a child that saved a whole nation. Here's what Joseph says at the end of Genesis. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God is working. God is working in your life right now, even though it may not seem like it. If we could just see the big picture, sometimes rejection is a blessing that leads to God's acceptance. Sometimes frustration is a blessing that leads us to finally depend on God. God selects what man rejects. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But I want you to know that if you feel rejected, if you feel like you haven't been able to produce what you wanted to find that approval, to find that achievement that God sees you. When Genesis says that God remembered Rachel, it wasn't like he forgot about her. It means at that time, he turned his attention and he blessed her. God never forgets you. God sees you in your pain, in your brokenness. He's with you in that. Judah, his name means praise. And out of Judah came David. Out of Judah comes Jesus. And I believe one of the ways to combat this need for approval, this combat, this need for affirmation is to turn back to praise. Because when we get our eyes on a big, big God, it makes our big problems seem that much smaller, amen? And so, when you feel like, man, things are just too big for me to handle, remind yourself how big your God is, that he sees you. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close with a response song. And I encourage you during this song to respond to God. 
I don't know if you feel comfortable, maybe just putting your hands out like you're receiving something from him. Just sing these words that, God, you're my healer. I want you to believe that, that he is your healer. He is your redeemer. He does see you. And he's here right now wanting to meet with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here in this place. God, I pray that you'd be with each and every one of us, that you would meet with us in this place, that we would turn our, our lives, our, our problems over to you. And God, that we'd open up for you to do a work in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.